Today is Local Outreach Sunday, which means you get to hear from several of our local partners and learn some ways that you can serve with them in our community. In addition to updates from Urban Impact, Young Life, and Pivot, we're pleased to introduce you to our newest local partner, Amira, a ministry focused on helping survivors of sexual exploitation find hope. Today's speaker, Michael DiStefano, previously served as a pastor in Texas and Washington, D.C., before becoming the Regional Impact Director for Amira in Connecticut. Join me in welcoming Michael and Amira to the Black Rock family. safe home in the North Shore of Boston and we're now working towards expanding and bringing another safe home to Connecticut which currently has no safe homes for this population whatsoever. We want to think through what what is needed in that state that's practical. The vision for Amira is to reach as many women as possible and we want to multiply, we want to grow, we want to create more opportunities for women to come to find hope to find a new life. Every sex trafficking victim such a battle and it clearly takes a village. Amira is that village to give these women a shot. We want to lead the charge in providing more and helping partner with others to provide more because we are giving the time and space for hope to rise up where it never existed before. Well, how's it going, BlackRock Church? My name is Michael DiStefano, and I work for an organization called Amira, and we are a trauma-informed aftercare service provider for survivors of human trafficking domestically. Really simply, that means that we are a safe home, a safe space where women who have been exploited against their will uh, can have recovery, safety, anonymity, and get a fresh start and a new life. And I'm so honored to get to be in this space today uh, with BlackRock Church. Uh, so with that, let's jump in. Uh, I wanna to begin today's sermon with a confession, and it's this. I have never seen the movie Princess Bride. I've never seen the movie Princess Bride. And, uh, and to some of you, that feels like I just started today's church service with heresy. Uh, others of you are like me, you've never seen it and you don't care, but it's one of the most quotable movies of all time. And so I can quote it extensively. Uh, I've been around friends where they've said marriage and everyone has laughed and I have had no idea why. Uh, I know that someone named Wesley is coming for someone else, but I don't know who Wesley is or why he's coming uh, because we need story to construct meaning. So when other people are filled with emotion, uh, that brings up fond memories. For me, it does absolutely nothing because I've never seen the movie. We need story to construct meaning. We need context if we're going to respond appropriately and a misunderstanding of context 
will lead to a misappropriation of response. And the results of that can be disastrous. So I remember when I was a freshman in college, my first college girlfriend, I was a little bit unsure what a college boyfriend does. And so we had gone out a couple times. I'd run out of good ideas. And so I went to someone much older and wiser, my sister, who was a senior in college. And she said, I just started dating a guy. Why don't you bring her over? We'll do a double date and uh, it'll be great. So I said, awesome. So she made dinner. After dinner, we're sitting on the couch uh, with the TV on in the background. And we get to the point in the date where we've all sort of run out of our A-game conversation. You know, the things that we think that we can say that will make us appear smart or funny or interesting, that's all been used up and I can feel the awkward silence coming. And I'm the kind of person that will do anything to resurrect that moment. (laughs) And so I start looking for any way to make sure that we don't get to the awkward silence. A commercial comes on TV that I think is funny. And so I say, everybody shut up. This is my favorite commercial. And as soon as everyone stops talking and pays attention to what's on TV, the man on TV said, if you have a, and it was a Viagra commercial, and he just spoke unspeakable things into our date. And I was like, no, right? Because this is my sister and my brand new girlfriend. And now this is Mike's favorite commercial. Now, what went wrong there? What went wrong? I misunderstood the context and I misappropriated my response. If we don't understand the story that we're living in, we can never respond appropriately. And I mention that because we live in volatile times, unprecedented times, uh, where we've seen a severe lack of civility in our culture. And uh, many of us who are Christians are asking the question, what does faithfulness look like for the Christian in this season? How can I respond well to these uncertain times that we're living in? What does faithfulness look like? And there are a million different ways to answer that question. But if we don't first understand the story that we're living in, we can never respond appropriately. If we misunderstand the context, we will misappropriate our response. And so what's the story? What's the context that we're living in? To answer that question, I wanna go to a passage that has the final words of the risen Christ to his disciples. It's a passage that's commonly referred to as the Ascension. And it comes at the end of Jesus's entire earthly ministry. So his death, burial, and resurrection, his teachings that have radically changed the world, his healings that have made people whole and new. At the very end of his life and ministry, he has one final conversation with his disciples. And I imagine that you might be mildly interested in what I have to say this morning, But if you knew that I had just died, been buried, and by the power and authority of God, burst forth from the grave to have one final conversation with you in this moment, you might lean in a little closer. And that's the moment that that we find the disciples in in Acts chapter one, verse one. It's the final words of the risen Christ. And Jesus looks at these men and women who have been walking with him from the beginning, who have slept near him on a hillside whose teachings have warmed and transformed their hearts. The men and women who mourned his crucifixion and who are still bewildered at his presence after the resurrection. And he looks at them and he says, wait in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit's coming and you're gonna receive power. And then you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and onto the ends of the earth. And it says, as he said these things, he was lifted up out of their sight. Literally he ascends into heaven and the disciples who were friends of Jesus, 
who were touched by his teaching, who were transformed by his power, now realize finally and completely that he is God. He is God. And so they're standing there gazing in absolute stupefaction into heaven. I imagine mouths open completely in awe for I don't know how long, but I know it was long enough for two angels to show up on the scene. Go read the passage sometime. Two angels show up and they say, hey, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This Jesus who you saw go will return. So go to Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit's coming and you're gonna receive power. And then you're gonna be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So he says, seriously, go. He meant what he said. And there's a principle in that that I want us to understand. And it's this, that as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we were never meant to simply gaze into heaven. We were meant to move with God as he moves on this planet. That as disciples of Jesus, we were never meant to simply gaze into heaven. We were meant to move with God because he is active on this globe. And for so many of us, we have simply been spending our Christian lives gazing into heaven. And that's a good step. That's the right first step. It's actually the only appropriate first step to be in awe of the wonder and majesty of who God is, to get to know him through his word, to get to experience him through worship, to gaze on the beauty of our creator is the only first step for the Christian, but it's still just the first step that we were never meant to simply gaze into heaven. We were meant to move with God as he moves on this planet. And I think the tragedy is, that so many of us have spent our entire lives in the house of God, learning things about God, but we've never really gotten to know God because we've never really moved with him because our God is on the move. He is calling us from mundane to mission. And so example, just after I graduated from college, I have an uncle who we call the fun man in my family because he's got a surf shack in Baja, Mexico. He's got a house in Crested Butte, Colorado. He lives on the coast of California and uh, he's got this long kind of beard. He's climbed mountains all over the globe. He is basically just a living North Face ad. That's my uncle. And just after I graduated from college, he said, why don't you come spend a week with me over Christmas and we'll celebrate your graduation. And, uh, and I said, I would love to, that sounds amazing, but I am 22 years old and I just started into ministry. And if you didn't know this, when you're 22 and you're just starting into ministry, they pay you an average of $1 a year, just about a dollar a year. And uh, so I was like, I would love to, but uh, I don't think I can afford it. And he said, look, you pay for your plane ticket and I'll take care of everything else. You get here and you're covered. And I said, deal. So I got on a plane, landed, walked into his tiny little multi-million dollar home, but it was beautiful, tucked into the hillside uh, on the coast and uh, the bathroom floors were heated. And I was like, this is off to a good start. But we didn't stop there. The first day I was there, my uncle comes into the living room with a bike and he's like, let's go mountain biking, which I was excited about. I'm from Texas. I thought I was a mountain biker. It turns out we don't have mountain biking in Texas. We have trail riding. Uh, I went mountain biking for the first time and it was lush and it was green and it was a mountain biker's dream, but we didn't stop there. The next day, it was just a couple of days before Christmas but we went surfing in the Pacific Ocean. We were two of the only people crazy enough to get in the Pacific Ocean just a couple of days before Christmas in the month of December, but we paddled out there and I'll never forget the, the deep blue of the ocean and sort of this gray overcast day rolling underneath my board and turning around and seeing the waves crash up against the cliffs of the quaint little town of Santa Cruz and the hillsides and the town tucked in. And I, I remember it, the whole scene just took my breath away. And my uncle paddled over to me and he said, see this, this is my sanctuary. 
And, uh, but then something interesting happened. My uncle the next day took me to church, which is fascinating because he's an atheist, doesn't believe in God, but he had just had a little girl and she was asking spiritual questions. And so he wanted to start exploring spiritual things. And so I went to church with my atheist uncle and the pastor of that church, he knew from surfing. So he was one of my uncle's surfer buddies. And I'll never forget going to that church service and the pastor walking out with sort of this surfer swag, long blonde hair. And as the music died down after worship, he just stopped and he said, let's everyone just take a moment and think about how gnarly God is, right? And I looked up to laugh because I thought he was joking, but nobody was laughing. They were all just like, totally, right? That was the most normal thing that he could say. Uh, but we didn't stop there. Uh, the next day we packed up, we drove four hours th through the Sierra Nevada mountains and we went snowboarding for the next couple of days. And it was the craziest vacation of my life. I was surfing one day, going off of jumps in the snow the next. And when I got home, people were asking, how was your trip? How was your vacation to California? And I was like, I don't even have the words. It was the craziest vacation I've ever been a part of. We were snowboarding one day, surfing the next. We were mountain biking through Redwood trees. It was incredible. And I mentioned that for this reason. Imagine how different my response would, been, would have been to the question, how was your vacation? If every time my uncle bounded into the living room with a board or a bike or an adventure, and I said, no, thank you. The bathroom floors are heated. I think I'll just stay here. Imagine how different my response would have been to that question. It was okay. It was fun. I got to hang out in my uncle's house, right? And the tragedy of that would have been that I never would have really gotten to know my uncle because the character of my uncle is that he is on the move. He is adventurous. He is always moving. And if you wanna to get to know God, you gotta move with him. You gotta move with him because our God is active. Our God is on the move. He is ascending God. He is an active God. He is a pursuing God. We serve a God who is on the move. And if you wanna get to know my uncle, you gotta move with him. If you wanna get to know God for who he is, you've gotta move with him. And so you see this in the Psalms, Psalm 12, five says, because the poor are plundered and the needy grown, I will now arise, says the Lord, and I will place them in the safety for which they long. That God sees this category of people that our Bible calls the poor. And it was those who were vulnerable, economically, socially, politically, they were the vulnerable. He says, because the poor are plundered. And that word plunder is a word that just means to take advantage of. And the Old Testament people of God had very strong commandments that they were to take care of and never let anyone take advantage of the poor in their midst. And so if you ever wanna see God get really angry in your Old Testament, plunder the poor, take advantage of the vulnerable. And God looks down and he says, because the poor are plundered, I will now arise and I will move towards them in love to place them in the safety for which they long. And that's good news that God moves towards the vulnerable because there are vulnerable people all over our planet, in our nation, and even in our cities who are being plundered, who are being taken advantage of. And so I mentioned, I work for an organization called Amira. We work with domestic trafficking victims and the World Labor Organization will estimate that there are about 40 million people being enslaved against their will in the world today. It's the fastest growing criminal enterprise globally. It's the second most profitable criminal enterprise at $150 billion a year. The Global Slavery Index estimates that there are about 500,000 women being trafficked in the United States as we speak. 
And I'm in a room that many of you are familiar with. You've come here on a Sunday morning to worship that seats almost a thousand people. And so you can imagine that if you filled this room up with vulnerable women and then filed them out, not once, not twice, but thousands and thousands of times. That's the number of women who are enslaved in our world today. And they are vulnerable and they come from vulnerability. And so there was a study that was conducted in the 90s by UPenn. um, And it's one of the first studies that we ever had conducted. So it's a little bit older, but they found that 92% of women who are trafficked come from uh, poverty or come from prior abuse that they're the most vulnerable among us. A more recent statistic conducted by the National Resource Center for Human Trafficking, which is um, a, a part of Homeland, the United States Homeland Security, they did a study that was far more recent just before the pandemic. And they found that nearly 70% of first time trafficking incidents happen at truck stops where vulnerable young women are fleeing intolerable home life situations. And there they are preyed upon by predatory traffickers that the vulnerable among us are being exploited. And the tragic reality is I know this from conversations that I've had with law enforcement in Houston, Texas, in New England, with partners in Calcutta, India, and around the world, that they all say the same thing, that women cannot escape and law enforcement will not move without the presence of adequate aftercare facilities, without the presence of safe homes. And so currently, of those 500,000 women being trafficked in the United States right now, less than 1% Escape is what the FBI estimates. Less than 1% ever escape simply because of the lack of adequate aftercare facilities. And so there are poor, vulnerable people being exploited in our midst. And it is good news that God looks down and he says, because the poor are plundered and the needy grown, I will now arise, says the Lord. That he looks and he says, when their families have failed them, when society has failed them, when the people of God were nowhere to be found and these poor, precious women were vulnerable, I will make it my personal priority to move towards them in love and place these precious women in the safety that they long for. And so at Amira, we simply see ourselves as the people of God who will rise with God to place these precious women in the safety that they long for. And so we get to move with God in love. And is it easy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, but it's beautiful. It's not easy to climb a mountain, but it's beautiful. And God is calling his people to risk the cold danger of the mountain of mission. He is calling us to move with him as he moves in this world. He's calling us to move from mundane to mission that as we follow him up the mountain of mission, that as we walk step by step behind our guide, we'll feel strength begin to return to our legs as we breathe the cool mountain air, we'll feel our heads clear and we'll come alive in the pursuit that God is calling us to move with him. See his invitation to us as his people doesn't leave us purposeless and alone. It's an invitation to come run with me, come be a part of what I'm doing. I am enacting this rescuing, saving work throughout the world. I am healing, restoring, redeeming and making new. And so you've been blessed to be a blessing. You've been redeemed to be a redemptive force in this world. So come run with me, come run with me, come get to know me through them. And so if you wanna experience God, If you're asking, where is God? Look for the poor because he is moving towards them in love and get to know him through pursuing them. That's the beauty of what it means to be a Christian, to move with God 
and to get to know him through that process. And so to close, I'm at that season of life where there's sort of an early late, uh, wave and a late wave, but I'm at the season of life where in the late wave, all of my friends are getting married. Uh, like all of my friends. So just before the pandemic, uh, I went to um, seven weddings in four months and not just went to, but actually was in. So like in the, in the wedding, like bridal party, seven weddings in just four months, everybody, all my friends are dropping like flies. And I'm left asking the question, how did they pull that off? Like, how did these guys pull that off? Because I knew them in college, you know, like I knew these guys in college and, and I'm wondering how did these men convince these beautiful capable, smart, intelligent women to say yes to spending the rest of their lives with them. Like particularly my youngest brother, Sam, or one of my younger brothers, Sam, uh, was recently married. How did he pull it off? Like, I remember it wasn't that long ago that my mom walked into the backyard and she saw little Sam sitting there and he was chewing or trying to eat hard rocks. Like he was gnawing on hard rocks. And she asked him, what are you doing? And he said, so I can have hard muscles, right? That wasn't that long ago. Like, I remember that. Like, that guy just convinced a beautiful, capable, intelligent woman to say yes to running with him forever. How did he pull that off? How did they pull that off? I think it was two things. Number one, they exemplified character, that they showed that they were responsible stalwarts in society, and then they showed an initiation towards their beloved and a responsiveness towards her. And not just in her best moments, but in her worst moments, that they would move towards these women in love. And then they didn't just show it, they spoke it. And this is important, that they used their words, that there came a moment where they got down on one knee and they said, I love you. I can't imagine my life without you. Would you come run with me? Would you be my bride? And these women said, yes. So they showed them and then they told them. How do you convince someone like Maureen, who was trafficked from the time she was a child, through the use of force, fraud, or coercion, how do you convince someone like that, who once she turned 18, was found on a street corner and arrested, a victim turned a criminal? One of the most horrific lives that any of us could, in fact, none of us could imagine if we've never lived through it. How do you convince someone like that, that there is a God in heaven who loves her? Well, number one, I think you move towards her. I think you show an initiation. And that's exactly what we did. We got to learn her story because through our outreach program, we moved towards her and met her when she was in prison. And we heard her story, what had happened to her, how she ended up there. And then we kept coming back week after week. And we heard that her greatest fear was that when the prison door swung open, it wouldn't be to freedom, but the first face that she saw would be her trafficker's face, as is often the case. And so because we knew her, because we had shown an initiation and a responsiveness to her, when those prison doors swung open for Marine. It wasn't her trafficker's face that she saw. It was the bright, shining, hope-filled faces of Amira's staff ready to accept her into our home, where she came and she began her recovery process, where we surrounded her with love, the most practical of love, taking care of physical needs, speaking to spiritual reality, providing expert trauma care. And in that process, early on, she was reconciled to her daughter, that she asked to see her young daughter, and our CEO, Stephanie Clark, will tell a story of arranging a meeting between the two of them in a church sanctuary. And mother and daughter hadn't seen each other in a while, but after a bit of timidity, the two ran towards each other, tears streaming down their face to embrace. And Maureen dedicated her recovery to her little girl, to being the mother that she deserved. And for Maureen, it wasn't long before all these sort of horizontal reconciliations 
turned vertical, that the love of others pointed to the love of another. And on August 19th of last year, Marines stood on the beaches of a North Shore ocean in Massachusetts with Amira staff by her side and her new church staff by her side, and she was baptized. And she became a Christian that day. And the name Amira simply means princess. It means daughter of the king. And so in that moment, Marine went from victim, criminal, enslaved to beloved daughter of King Jesus forever. And that's the beauty of the work that we get to do, that now her story tells a bigger story. And that's what it means to be a witness in the Ascension passage that we read earlier, that your story now points to a bigger story, that she was lost in the dark and without hope. And it was the kindness of others to move towards her, to pull her out and to allow her to experience transformation, new identity, a new name, a new life. And that's our gospel. That's our gospel, that we have the opportunity to proclaim the gospels with our lives, that we become live action displays of the drama of redemption, that the watching world gets to see as hurting people are rescued, as broken people are made whole, as lost people find their way. And so what's the goal of the Christian? What does faithfulness look like in these days? How do we respond appropriately? What's the context that we're living in? Well, the goal of the Christian is simply to be present in society and faithful to the message, living lives of love and service such that when we speak the gospel, it would be like seeing the ring at a proposal. The proposed has already experienced his love. Now, all that's left for her is to accept the invitation. And that's who we're meant to be. That's our call that our God is on the move. And so it is our joy to move with him towards the lost, broken and hurting of this world. And as we do, we come alive and the world comes alive around us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this moment. We're grateful for your word, how it changes and transforms our hearts. God, our prayer is that we would see where you are and we would move with you in the direction that you're going. And God, our prayer is that many hearts would come alive in the process. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your good news that awakens hearts. And thank you that you are a moving God and that you call us to adventure with you. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey church, thank you for entering the hard places of ministry where we wanna bring Jesus to those that need to hear him. Thank you to Amira and their ministry and for our board of missions in bringing them on as one of our newest partners. You know, we are passionate about bringing Jesus to both the world and, and locally. And so thank you for how you give faithfully uh, to missions here at BlackRock and supporting our 11 local partners as they do ministry. You know, if you have not signed up to be a prayer partner, I encourage you this morning to sign up to pray weekly for one of our local partners. You can go to brc.church slash I will pray today to sign up to be a prayer partner. There's nothing better that you can do this morning than to sign up to be a prayer partner. I love our local ministry Sunday because we focus today on how you can serve locally. You know, globally, we go on mission trips, but when we think local, we think how can you serve on a weekly or monthly basis with one of our local partners? 
So today I've invited three of our local partners, Pivot Ministry, Young Life, and Urban Impact to come and share about their ministry, but really how you can serve with them this fall. And so I wanted to have uh, Jerrica start by sharing about Urban Impact and how you can serve with them. So Urban Impact is this faith-based slash education-based organization that really helps and focuses on the PT community. We have tutored and mentored several children from the PT community, as well as provide ways in which they can be mentored. Um, we feed them and we also, again, tutor them through partnerships which, with schools such as Geraldine Clater. Now, ways in which, um, you know, people can come in and help urban impact and help the PT community is for them to sign up and tutor with us during our fall program called Kid Power. Um, one of the things that I'm working on is developing this curriculum-based um, lesson planning instruction. So we are equipping the tutors with the tools necessary to help students learn within the fall, given circumstances that we are facing throughout the nation and the whole entire world. So in Young Life, we know that kids today are facing more pressure, stress, and anxiety than ever before. And as good as teachers are and as great as parents can be, uh, we know that in any given high school, there are hundreds and maybe even thousands of kids that are going about their day-to-day -day lives without the influence of the gospel. And so the mission of Young Life is to bring the gospel to lost, disinterested unchurched kids. And so even at a school like Fairfield Ward down the road, you've got 1,500 kids and some of them are plugged in here, which is amazing. And there are others that, that don't have a community like BlackRock. And so in Young Life, we want to bring the gospel to them. We want to give them an opportunity to hear about Christ, to process that message and to decide what that means for them and their life. And so the question is, how do we do that? And Young Life does have weekly programming, but we actually don't start with a program. We start with adults that are concerned enough to go, about, go into the world of kids and meet them on their turf and earn the right to be heard and share the gospel. And so what we need in order to be effective is those adults who do love Jesus and love kids. And we need those adults who would be willing to volunteer, um, getting to know kids, spending time with them, and like I said, earning the right to share the gospel with them. And so um, we'll have opportunities this fall on Monday nights for adults, uh, just like people at BlockRock. Those can be uh, college students, those can be parents, retirees, and anyone in between um, to, for a chance for them to get to know kids and share the love of Christ with them, regardless of where those kids are coming from. Pastor Jeremy, thank you for the invitation. You know, as you said, even in the midst of these trying times, I'm so glad to report that Pivot, we're still creating that amazing space for God to come in and transform lives. Our mission is to treat addiction as a spiritual problem and then to return the men to their families usefully whole. That term usefully whole, it's a broad stroke, but it also includes having a good self-image, having a good self-awareness, having a positive sense about yourself. And how do we do that? how we dress. We all do it. Pivot has this amazing space and opportunity there called the Blessing Room. It's a new space we've just renovated. Most of the guys that come into Pivot, they come in with only the clothing on their backs, very little personal belongings, downtrodden, no self-image, nothing of the kind. But this place called the Blessing Room, they go in, 
they get fitted with new clothing, new shoes, a new belt, and we see things change. The opportunity for you is to come and help us man that space. And it's a double blessing, a blessing for the men to receive new clothing and a blessing for you to come and engage, tell your story, you'll hear their story. You can help us by fundraising. You can help us by uh, clothing, uh, clothing drives. The men need shoes and shirts and slacks. You can come and help us man it. It's going to be open three days a week, three hours a day to come and just sort clothes, iron clothes, size clothes, fit the men in a new pair of shoes, an amazing experience. So we'd like to offer that to you guys. So church, this is your opportunity to start to serve. So please go to uh, brc.church slash missions uh, to sign up to serve today. We also, again, want you to be praying. So I would love to hear from each one of you, what's one way that our church can be praying for you? Pastor Richard, can you share one way? Absolutely. Again, in these trying times, we see a lot of things have changed, but we know God's economy is the same. So you can pray for God's kingdom resources to be abundant in this time of trial, uh, that there be no lacking, and that his people come together to support one another. I would say for Young Life, man, because we are relationally based, we need workers to the harvest. And Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so we would just ask for people's prayers to ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers. You know, um, one of the ways in which Jesus showed us his love is through tutoring and teaching and mentoring people who, who are around him. Um, and given that this fall we are launching this new virtual online remote tutoring sessions for Kid Power, we really do pray for 150 volunteers to, to participate in this program, um, given, as Pastor Richard said, um, these trying times and these times of difficulties and changes for so very many people. So again, we pray for these mentors and tutors to sign up and volunteer with Urban Impact. So church, this is our opportunity to serve and to pray and to give. Thank you for being a church that is so engaged in missions. We hope that this week, even today, that you will go out, that you will love people, serve the world, and impact those around you. Thanks for being a part of this church and what we're doing and what we will be doing in the years to come. To take advantage of the local volunteer opportunities mentioned today and more, go to brc.church missions. And don't forget to donate men's clothing this week to support the Pivot Blessing Room. Donations will be accepted here at the church during office hours, Monday through Thursday this week, and also 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. this Saturday. A list of needed items can be found on brc.church. Well, thank you for tuning in today and have a great week.